morning. Our scriptures this morning uh, are in the Pew Bible, pages 513 and 686. And I'm, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Paul Lake. I'm one of the deacons here. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what, the God, what God, the Lord, says. The creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another, my, or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Matthew 2.13 Then Jesus came from Galilee, to the, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Word of the Lord. Good morning. I get my stuff out here. I might make a mess today. I'll try not to. I always make a mess, though, don't I? <laughs> That's just my job. Yeah, I usually clean it up, right? Well, today I brought some eggs. Is there anybody here that doesn't like eggs? You don't like eggs? No? Eggs are probably the most universal food. They're high protein. They're, they're kind of healthy, right? You can do... Lots of things with them. What's your favorite thing to do with eggs? Eat them. How? Omelet? In cake? Uh, 
quiche. Oh, yeah. Mm. Scrambled, fried, hard-boiled, mixed in to egg salad. I make a lemon pie that has eggs in it. Uh, really good, makes that custard. Um, eggs, awesome. What do, they, what do they call it? The universal food or the unique food or something? That used to be a commercial. I can't remember. I'm getting old. Anyway, um, we, all, we all like, well, except for Rand, we all like eggs. <laughs> Some people can't eat eggs because they're allergic to them, and I understand that. And that makes it difficult for them to eat things that have eggs in them. Now, when you go to the grocery store and you buy eggs, which box do you pick? The brown eggs, because they're local eggs? The one that's on sale. The ones that aren't broken. <laughs> the ones that are left. <laughs> Sometimes there aren't any left. I, I came home with Eggland's best ones the other week because that was all there was. Like, they're really expensive, so use them wisely. Um, but. Yeah, don't fall over. I thought he was telling me to throw them because some people do throw eggs, although I don't think he does that. Um, but we use eggs for lots of things. Now, we have preferences about how we like to eat our eggs, and we have preferences about which color eggs we pick. Sometimes I have had eggs from friends that raise chickens, and sometimes they've been kind of greenish blue. Mm -hmm. Are they different? No. Eggs are eggs are eggs. doesn't matter what color they are on the outside. Because if I break this egg, that's what it looks like. Right? Looks like an egg. If I break this egg, you didn't hard boil this, did you? You did? Oh. It looks just like that. Okay. So I told you I was going to make a mess. So now, which one is which? Which one came from which shell? Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? I don't think so, but you can't tell. When they're in the bowl, they're the same. And that's kind of like people. In the scripture from Acts today, the Acts 10 scripture, Cornelius had a dream. He was, he was off doing his missionary thing, and he was hungry, and he took a nap, and he had a dream. And in his dream, this sheet came down with all these things in it, and God said, go ahead, Peter, take and eat. He said, oh, no, God, I'm not eating that stuff. I'm a good Jew. I won't eat that stuff. I won't eat anything that you said we can't eat. And he said, but I'm telling you, take it and eat it. Now, at the same time, in another part of the town, there was a man named Cornelius who was not Jewish. He was Gentile. And he was praying, God, send somebody to help me understand what this is all about because I want to know. At the same time that Peter was getting this, go ahead and eat all this stuff. And I think that fortunately it got through because Peter then went to Cornelius and Cornelius came to know the Lord because Peter had seen the things that Jesus did and was able to explain to Cornelius all of what happened through the prophets, through Jesus. And he realized that 
It doesn't matter if we're Jewish or Gentile, if we're tall or short, if we're young or old, if we're green or purple. It doesn't matter. We're all the same on the inside, and God doesn't have a preference. Now, last week we heard that the Dolan family, that Maddie is the favorite. She's, she's the preferred one. But you know what? Not in God's family. We're all the favorites. Uh, <laughs> poor Maddie. We love you, Maddie. <laughs> but you know what? God doesn't play favorites. God loves each one of us. And God is calling each one of us to reach out, to look beyond the blinders that we've put on. Oh, God, I can't do that because, you know, I'm this way. He wants us to be willing and able to minister wherever he sends us. So if God's telling you to do something, by golly, eat your eggs and go do it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you do love us, no matter who we are or what we are doing or how we look, you love us, and you have a job for us to do. So help us to be the strong person that you've called us to be and reach out our hand to those who need to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you will meet with us and enlighten our minds and hearts so that we can become more like you in the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the first Sunday of the church season called Epiphany. Have you heard of this before? So, this was, here's a little news flash to me. I knew about the holiday Epiphany, which is January 6th. Epiphany is also known as, the, as Three Kings Day. Um, it's the day that we celebrate the wise men finally making it to Bethlehem to see the baby Jesus, although he was probably a toddler at that point. Um, it's, and it starts, this is what I did not know. I knew that it ended the Christmas season, but I didn't know that it starts an entire season called Epiphany. Church seasons are weird because they're all different lengths. Um, <laughs> but so Epiphany is actually my favorite non-major church holiday. Um, but I didn't know that it was a whole season, which is great because it means that we can focus on another uh, story than the wise men story this week. And we're probably still going to be able to talk about some of the ideas behind Epiphany. Do you know what the celebration of Epiphany is, is about? I mean, the story is about the, the Magi coming to see Jesus. But do you know why that's a big deal, an exciting deal? Presents. Right. That's why we have Christmas presents, maybe. Um, not really, though. <laughs> Does anyone know what's the, what's the big deal behind Epiphany? Not on Epiphany. That is part of the season of Epiphany, but that's not... Do you, first of all, do we know what Epiphany means? It's an awakening. Uh, Kathleen says, aha, that, that is actually an Epiphany. Um, an awakening, and Paul says, oh yeah. Um, an Epiphany, so last year, 
on this Sunday, we learned about apophatic and cataphatic, and so today we can talk about epiphanies. Epiphanies, that word is a little bit more familiar than the other two, um, but it is basically when you realize something that changes the way you think about things in a pretty significant way, but it's a really sudden realization, even if it's kind of been building up for a while, it's when all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I get it, or oh, I never thought of it like that before, but, now, but it makes so much sense. So if the, the day of Epiphany celebrates the coming of these magi from some country, we don't even know which country they came from, maybe Persia, but nobody knows for sure, um, what do you think is the aha behind that story? I'll tell you. It is that Jesus, the Messiah, is not just for the Jewish people. He is for the whole world. That is what the church is celebrating during the season of Epiphany. So we have a few weeks to celebrate it. This is good news, especially because I think maybe some of us have some Jewish background, but a lot of us don't. Um, so we are celebrating Epiphany, we're celebrating that Jesus came to reconcile all people, but especially the focus in Epiphany is the Gentiles, to God. When we talk about the reconciliation that God wants, that Jesus came to bring, we've talked about reconciliation here before. We talked about it when we were studying Ephesians, but we've talked about it in other sermon series. What are the four main kinds of reconciliation that we talk about that Jesus came to bring? I say this over and over again. Please, somebody help. <laughs> us and God. Us and other people. Us and ourselves. Us and creation. Yes. So the one we're going to focus on today is the reconciling of us with ourselves. Because here's the thing. H human beings were created in the image of God, but we don't act like it very often, do we? That means that not only are, is our relationship with God broken by sin, but our relationship with each other is broken by sin, and our relationship with the rest of the world, the rest of creation is broken by sin. This is why we have environmental problems and other things. Um, and our own wholeness is messed up by sin. We are broken people. We don't always really know who we are. When, so in Winter Solace online this weekend, we've been talking about identity, and um, the question that I asked them for, the sort of icebreaker question that I asked them to prepare ahead of time, because it's a short question, but it's kind of a big deal, was tell us in 30 seconds, who are you? And people answered the question in different ways. Some of them just kind of said, I'm a mom and I'm a, and this is, this is what I do, or some people said, this is my job, and other people said, well, I'm not my job, but I don't really know who I am, or I thought I was this, but I just went through a divorce, or I just went through this major illness, or my church kicked me out, or something happened, and so now I don't know who I am, and I am not going to ask you to answer this here because we don't have time, but um, you might want to think about this question, really, who are you? 
so our true selves, we each, all of us have a true self that God designed for us to have. And the only, the, we are going to find out who we are better and better and better the more our self is reconciled, the more our self is integrated with God. A reconciled self comes the way all the other reconciliations happen, through reconciliation with God. We can't become whole in ourselves. We can't have mended relationships out there without being reconciled to God. But that is, self-reconciliation is something that God wants for us. It is part of the good news. A guy named David G. Benner, who is now deceased, um, but who is a strong Christian and did a lot of work in spiritual formation, said, genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at us. If you can, if you can sense how God sees you, that is how you will discover, you will start to discover who you really are. Because we are not objective observers of ourselves, right? We, we don't see ourselves from outside ourselves, usually. We have our feelings and our thoughts, and they influence us. So, this is an important quote, I think. It basically says, the better we know God, the better we will know ourselves. And the better we know ourselves, the better we will know God. Why is this true? Because we are created in the image of God. Our true selves has something to do with who God is. And Jesus specifically is the way that we come to know God and ourselves because he is God and he was also a human. He became so much like us that we could become like him through relationship. And we only become like Jesus through relationship with God through Jesus. A you and me relationship with God, not a Jesus and me. There's a difference. I know it sounds like I'm splitting hairs here. But I think a lot of us go through our lives spiritually kind of, we're like, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I'm a churchgoer and Jesus is with me, and I know I have a sense that Jesus is with me, um, but we kind of just tell people about Jesus and maybe don't spend a whole lot of time with Jesus. And so he, he's coming along for the ride. And maybe we're doing, like maybe I'm standing up here preaching and I'm saying all this great stuff that I know from all my reading and the Bible and all that. And, but I get so busy that I'm not really taking time with Jesus. Actually, this week I've been so busy I have had to take time with Jesus, but, but sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes I let everything that's going on, all the good things, all the Jesus-y things, I do all those things, and so I'm like, hey, Jesus and me, we're good. But I don't spend a whole lot of time looking at Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, are we good? Like, what do you need to show me about myself? Or what do you want me to know about you? The way, we don't change by bringing Jesus along for the ride, but we do change by getting face-to-face with Jesus. Even though we can't see him, we can actually get face-to-face with Jesus. 
We become ourselves, we discover ourselves when we are willing to take an honest look at ourselves, which we have to be willing to do if we're going to get face-to-face with Jesus, because he's like, we're a mirror of God, we're supposed to be, but he kind of mirrors to us, too, who we really are. We might find out when we take an honest look at ourselves that we're not as great as we thought we were, or we might find out that we are more beloved than we ever knew, or both, usually both. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to ourselves, to who we are supposed to be. You can see this if you look, if you think about it in this way, and then you read the Bible stories. In the Bible, you can see people changing as they relate to God. They find out who they are, and they start to become more, ideally, some of them don't. Some of them reject that change, and they don't become more like God. But generally, you can see that. I've actually written a whole book about this that I'm trying to get published right now. But you can also see it in today's story about the baptism of Jesus. So don't be confused. Barb actually told a story that was part of the Bible readings for this week. We don't have time to put all four Bible passages that you see in the Facebook reading challenge in our service. So she was brilliant because she gave us an epiphany story about a Gentile coming to Christ and how we're all equal before God. And, but the story we're focusing on here is the story of Jesus' baptism. Even Jesus, here's the idea that exploded my brain this week, even Jesus, who is God, the Son of God, got his identity from God. Okay, and this story is a story about that. This is a story about the you and me connection between Jesus, the Son of God, and God, the Father and Spirit. Last year we had a bunch of baptisms, 12 actually, which is amazing. Baptism is a realignment, at least in the Baptist church, because you choose to do it. It's, you're realigning yourself, your soul, you're saying, this is me before and now I am aligning myself with God through Jesus Christ. And it is a public first step toward Jesus. You might have taken some steps toward Jesus in private, but it is, this is public. You're putting everything on the line here. And Jesus' own baptism is also, in a way, a public first step toward the giant reconciliation that he came to bring. It is, Jesus' baptism is God's first public step toward us. That already made the step toward us by becoming a human and being born at Christmas time or some other time that we celebrate at Christmas time. And when the Magi came, those were also pictures of God's steps of reconciliation toward us, but they were not public. Even when the angels came and appeared to the shepherds and the shepherds went and told everybody about it, it still wasn't super public because it wasn't God, the whole Trinity, declaring publicly who God was and this step of reconciliation. In his baptism, Jesus declares his identity as God's, and God declared Jesus' identity as his son. And he did this 
to fulfill all righteousness. I'm starting, that is a mysterious thing that Jesus says when John says, no, no, I can't baptize you. You should be yet baptizing me. And Jesus says, it is right to do this now to fulfill all righteousness. And I have a feeling that this idea of Jesus and God identifying themselves together publicly like this is part of what that means. Jesus became so much one of us that he had to go through literally everything we humans have to go through, except for sin. But he still took on our sins, so kind of he did have to go through sin. He had to go through literally everything so that the way could be open for us to the triune God, the three-in-one God. Jesus prepared the way for us. Let's look at how identity plays out in the story of his meeting with the one who prepared the way for him. Jesus prepared the way for us. Jesus is the way for us. But somebody came before him who prepared the way for him. This is about John the Baptizer. So John the Baptizer, sometimes called John the Baptist, but he wasn't Baptist like we're Baptist, like we are Baptist. Um, he baptized Jesus. This is the John that's mentioned in the story that Paul read for us. John the Baptizer, if there was anybody ever who knew who he was ahead of time, like before he was all grown up and mature and had existential crises and all that kind of stuff, before all that, there was ever a guy who knew who he was, it was John the Baptizer. Why? Because, well, here's some reasons. He was prophesied about in Isaiah. The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And in the verses before this, which Paul didn't read in this same passage in Matthew, though, um, John quotes that, that prophecy about himself. So he knew it was about him. He was prophesied about in Malachi, who said, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Great. John the baptizer was also foretold to, by Gabriel to John's father, Zechariah. Gabriel told Zechariah, among other things, that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. This is not a normal thing for humans, by the way. We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus' rule over our lives. We say, okay, I belong to you, and Jesus comes in, into us by his Holy Spirit. But we're not born with the Holy Spirit. But John the baptizer was. And John was sung over by his father when he was born. Zechariah saying, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's in Luke chapter 1. And so John began living out his calling, preparing the way of the Lord by preaching justice, calling for repentance, turning the hearts of the people back to God, as Gabriel said. It's interesting, Malachi says, turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. But Gabriel said, turning the hearts of the people back to God, who is their father. And also, 
So if there was ever a guy who knew who he was, it was John the Baptist, but if there was ever a guy who knew ahead of time who Jesus was, it was also John the Baptizer, because he knew it even when he was still in his mother's womb. When the pregnant Mary came to visit the pregnant Elizabeth, John's mother, Jesus was in Mary's womb, John was in Elizabeth's womb, and the baby John jumped inside his mother, enabling his mother to also prophesy about Jesus. John knew who Jesus was before either of them was even born. And his parents were, John's parents were older, and so they probably died when John was pretty young, and so we think that John was raised in the desert among very devoted religious people who were hoping for the Messiah. So he would have had this hope for the Messiah. He knew who Jesus was before he was born, and he knew that he was called to prepare the way for the Messiah, and so he knew a little bit about the Messiah. He didn't know everything about the Messiah, but he knew a little bit about him. And so he knew also that he was not that Messiah. This is amazing. We don't often know so clearly who we are and who we are not. A lot of times we think we're better than we are, or more than we are, and then other times we think we're totally less than we are. But John knew he was special, he knew he had a special job to do, he knew he was not the main event. This is amazing. In uh, the same chapter that Paul read, but in verses 11 and 12, John says, I baptized you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The way that Matthew writes this story, the whole story in this chapter, John has just been telling the crowds this, about this much greater person uh, who will baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire, and then, speaking of the Savior, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up on purpose, to be baptized by John. He's not just wandering by and he sees the crowds and he sees this guy in the water and he's like, oh yeah, I heard about that latest TikTok challenge. I'm going to go and get in on that. No. He's not just happening by. He is there on purpose to be baptized by John. Why does John protest? Why doesn't John want to baptize him? John doesn't feel worthy, which is probably a good feeling to know that they're the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Oh, I know who this is, and uh, that's I'm not the main event. I came to prepare the way for you. You should be baptizing me, though. He knows who he is, and he knows who Jesus is, and he isn't wrong, but. He's also not fully right. Sometimes, and here's where this applies to us, because there's a whole lot about John that is not like us at all. Jesus, who is God, in some ways, is more like us than John, which is kind of crazy. He experienced more of normal human experience than John. Sometimes our knowledge of ourselves, the knowledge that we do have of ourselves, and 
even our knowledge of God get in the way of our really knowing God. And then it gets in the way of our really knowing ourselves. You might have been in a friendship or something where um, one of the two of you has this kind of, oh yeah, I already know that kind of mentality. Or even if you're a kid in school or if you taught a kid in school and they think they know everything, they're not going to learn anything, right? And if you have that same kind of, I already know that, in a relationship, you're also not going to get very close to that person that you're trying to be friends with or maybe more than friends with. You can't get to know somebody if you already think you know everything. Even, so I already know short circuits relationship. It cuts it off before it can go anywhere. But even when we are correctly humble, like John is in this story, even our correct humility can sometimes prevent reconciliation from happening. John, Jesus wanted to be baptized by John, and John said, no, no, I can't do that. I'm not worthy. And if, they had, if Jesus was like, oh, fine, this guy doesn't want to baptize me, forget it then. This important event would not have happened. So, the reconciliation that Jesus came to publicly announce, and, public, and God wanted to show with the presence of the voice of the Father and the presence of the Spirit as a dove and Jesus, the Son of God in the water, as a man, none of that would have happened. Sometimes our correct humility keeps reconciliation from happening, or it could, because it keeps us and it keeps God locked in our own understanding instead of opening ourselves up in trust so that God can challenge our understanding of the truth that we know about him and ourselves. So God is truth. God doesn't change. But we change. And we have to, there's a certain kind of humility that prevents us from learning or growing or changing. There's also a kind of humility that comes from trusting. That says, God, I believe that you have all truth, and I trust you. I don't understand this, but I trust you enough to let go of all my preconceived ideas and let you show me who you are. Let you tell me what you want me to know about you, and that will tell me what you want me to know about me, and I will start to know how I can become more like you. This shows up in a different way in our responsive reading and the other scripture passage that Paul read for us. So in our responsive reading, the Psalm 29, it basically says, God is glorious. Give him credit for how glorious and powerful he is. He could mess you up. And also, he's the bringer of peace. That's basically what the Psalm says. If you just got stuck on the God is glorious, and we're going to say how glorious he is, and he could mess you up. All of that's true, but if we just get stuck there and stop there, we're not going to find out that God is also the bringer of peace. And that's actually 
more in line with God's nature and what he wants his people to do. The glory is because he's the bringer of peace. And the peace is more amazing because God could mess us up, and sometimes he has to, but he wants to bring peace. God is power completely, perfectly managed. And then in Isaiah 42, Isaiah prophesies, or whoever wrote the second half of Isaiah, here is my servant whom I, am, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. That's pretty basic. God's servant, God is delighted in this servant, and the spirit of God will cause this servant to bring justice to the nations. And this is important, and it is true. And then, surprise, you would think he might bring justice by smacking down the people that are not, that are oppressing people or that are being immoral or that are not following the ways of God in one way or another. But no, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. We would think, if we read that first verse, here's, gonna, here's this God that in Psalm 29 is powerful and mighty and all kinds of storm imagery and crashing and everything. And so if this servant is going to bring justice, it's going to look like that. Plus, if you've been on social media at all, on any side of any political or religious or any spectrum, you would see that people shouting and crying out and bruising, break, broken, breaking bruised reeds and snuffing out wicks all over the place, but Jesus isn't doing it that way. Jesus' way of establishing justice is tenacious and stubborn and does not let up, but quiet and caring and faithful and he establishes justice on the earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. There's hope. We can't find out these things about God unless we come to God directly, humbly for sure, but also with curiosity. Because God wants to be known by us. He doesn't want to just be known about. He wants to be known. God wants us to be curious about who he is and open to finding out more about him and have a real desire to know him for himself. And one key way that we do that is through reading scripture, but we read it curiously so we can find out about, so we can see these, here's one thing it says about God and here's another thing. And it seems like they're opposite, but they're both here. So they must both be true. So how is it possible that God is so great that he can be like this and like this at the same time? What does that look like? So Jesus doesn't contradict John's assessment of either himself, of either John or Jesus. Jesus, you know, John says, I, don't, I can't baptize you. And Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm, you're not unworthy, John. You're so worthy. Please baptize me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't. John's right. 
John is not worthy to baptize Jesus. Jesus doesn't contradict that. He just invites John to get close enough to see the truth that he knows, the truth that he isn't worthy, a little differently or a little more fully. He invites John to get close to him in John's language, the language of the prophets, the language of justice. He, uses, he says, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In the Bible, righteousness, which is basically major, major goodness, and justice go hand in hand always. They, are all, they always belong together. John has been preaching justice and righteousness, and Jesus came to establish justice and righteousness, and both of those things occur when people are reconciled to God, to each other, to creation, and within themselves. John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sin, and sin is the violation of justice and righteousness. Jesus didn't sin, but he carried our sin. Maybe he began carrying our sin from the moment of his baptism. We think about it when he went to the cross, but it might have started right here. Jesus' baptism fulfills all righteousness or all justice, or both, because it is the sign of reconciliation, of sin wiped clean. This is why we do believers' baptism here, because we are declaring, I have sinned, and now I am enacting this sign that Jesus did to show that I am reconciled to God. I have accepted God as my Lord, and I love him, and my life belongs to him now. We are reconciled. Baptism is also a sign of a restored, resurrected identity. Baptize me, says Jesus to John, then you'll find out who I really am and who you really are. One Sunday, a couple weeks ago, Sandy and I had this little debate from here. <laughs> um, I don't remember what I was talking about, but I said something. She said, but Jesus is God, sort of like so of course he could do this. And I said, and he's human. And she said, but he's also God. And I said, and he's also human. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Completely both. This is a big theological thing that people have been, salt, have been debating since 200 AD. But the Bible is pretty clear that both of those things are true. Jesus did not sin, but he became like us in every single other way, including needing his entire identity to come from God. So God shows this, that Jesus is getting his identity from him when Jesus is baptized, and he comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and the Father's voice is audible, saying, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Jesus, the eternal son of God, submitted so fully to the human condition that he received the Holy Spirit like we do. Well, maybe not quite. Most of us don't get doves on our heads, but, but he received the Holy Spirit, and he received his identity from his father, even though both of those things were already his. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit, and the father was already Jesus' father, but at his baptism, he received them, 
He showed us what reconciliation looked like, even though he himself did not need to be reconciled. He showed us how to fulfill all righteousness and justice, to turn our identity over to the God who created us, and let that God define us, his beloved children, with whom he is well pleased. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that you love us and you made us in your image, and we are beloved before we were even born. And also that you want to remake us in your image because we all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Thank you that you came to reconcile us to you and to each other and to the world and to ourselves. We ask that you will continue to do that work in us every day in Jesus' name.